0: How do you build a better coaching culture in one of the largest organizations in the world? Today, insight on Microsoft's journey and some of the strategies you may borrow for your own organization. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode
1: 501. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential.
0: Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Today, a conversation about coaching, a topic that comes up on our show often, a topic that so many of us have a passion for of being more coach-like in our conversations, not only in our professional conversations, but also personally. And today, I'm so thrilled to have someone with us who's such a champion for coaching, not only as a talented coach herself and as a coach for others, but helping organizations to bring in coaching as a culture, to do coaching more effectively, to help leaders think in a more coach-like way. And I know we're going to learn a lot from her, especially those of you who really have a heart to bring coaching inside the entire organization and to be able to establish that a bit as a culture. I'm so thrilled to welcome Andrea Wannerstrand to the show today. Andrea is a leadership coach and head of Microsoft Worldwide Learning Coaching Programs. Andrea has 15 plus years of international experience in organizations ranging from 50 to over 150,000 employees. She has a multi-industry background, including technology solutions and services, business management consulting, and telecommunications. Her expertise is in leading the development and management of large-scale global coaching and leadership development programs, specializing in customer-centric organizations. In addition to leading the global coaching programs at Microsoft, she is an International Coaching Federation PCC Certified Leadership Coach and serves on the current board of the ICF Global Board of Directors. She's also a fellow at the Institute of Coaching at Harvard McLean. Andrea, I am so glad to talk with you again and have this conversation about coaching.
1: It's great to be here, Dave. Thanks for having me here.
0: Well, the pleasure's mine, and before we dive in on coaching and thinking about this from the organizational standpoint, I, you, know, you have such a heart for coaching, and you have such a wonderful amount you have done for the coaching world and serving well. And I'm just curious, when did you first discover a heart and a passion for coaching?
1: Wow. It's been over a decade now. I was a director with T-Mobile USA and felt like I needed to go get another certification. And then I said, oh, I'm going to go try this coaching thing. And here I am over a decade later, and I'm living and breathing it. I just have such a huge passion about the power of coaching and how it can impact businesses and individuals. So super excited to be here with you today to talk on one of my favorite topics.
0: Uh, Oh, me too. Yeah, me too. And uh, you've done so much wonderful work with so many of the respected coaching organizations. And in particular, I'm thinking about the work you've done with ICF. And you've shared with me this wonderful report on building a coaching culture with managers and leadership. And it was produced jointly between the International Coach Federation and the Human Capital Institute. And I was reading through the report and there were two metrics that really came out for me in a big way. One of them is that organizations with a strong coaching culture report recent revenue above their industry peer group, 51% compared to 38% of those who who don't have that culture. And the other metric that came up for me in a big way was 64% of respondents in organizations with strong coaching cultures. Report the presence of all three modalities compared to just 33% of respondents in other organizations. And this, of course, begs the question, three modalities? (laughs) There's different kinds of coaching. And so I I wanted to dive in on this with you a bit, and maybe you might illuminate for us these three different modalities of coaching, because I had not thought about this this way before I had talked with you and looked at this report.
1: Well, absolutely. And the report you're referring to is the 2016 Human Capital Institute and the ICF study on building a coaching culture. And really, it talks about the three pillars of coaching. And one, we those of you who've used coaching services over the year, it's generally a formal global solution for engaging a point in time for development focused on coaching. It can leverage internal or external coaches. Sometimes it's for executives. Sometimes it's for a course correction and someone who's needing so, some help in their career. And while that is still a vital pillar, there's this aspect of managers needing to be and leaders being more coach-like. And so the second pillar is the coaching capabilities pillar. And it's really this in the moment leadership behavior that facilitates empowerment, learning and activates a growth mindset. And that third pillar is a common framework of coaching champions. And so really having folks in a common framework and approach that support a community of leaders and managers, as well as internal coaches, perhaps, who lead to a common standard fostering coaching capabilities across the organization. So again, coaching as a service, coaching as a capability, and then coaching champions. And to be really clear, coaching capabilities, we're not asking managers and leaders to become professional coaches. It's simply a matter of showing up more coach-like and choosing the right conversation technique for a situation and coming in with curiosity to reach their full potential.
0: Well, this is something I'm just so excited to dive in on the details on because I know there are folks listening who are thinking, okay, I've I've heard of organizations like Microsoft doing work around developing coaches, but I'm so curious how they do that. And so we're gonna dive in on that a bit. Before we get into the the how and what that looked like, I think maybe it does make sense to start with the big picture and Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, when he came in, you know, one of the things I I know is that he was thinking very broadly about culture in the organization. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could take us back to just on a big picture level, when Microsoft started thinking about culture, what did that look like at the highest level, at the biggest picture level before we dive in on coaching specifically?
1: Certainly. The market had changed, right? So there was competition and the cloud was coming. It hadn't come yet. So Sacha, when he came into the organization, really set our North Star on the growth mindset, which really means to think what can be possible. And that said, you know, we were shifting gears. We've had a phrase and we move from a know-it-all culture to a learn-it-all culture. And we really need to embrace the learner mindset and the beginner's mind. So the growth mindset over the last few years is an adjustment. You have to shake off your old habits and and start adjusting to new. And that is where this introduction of the coaching capabilities for our managers, the introduction over 2019 of the new manager expectations around model coach care come into play so that they support a growth mindset culture that allows for vulnerability so that you can have courage for creativity and be able to achieve our company's mission to, you know, empower everyone and everything on the planet. So we had to think big, and the biggest way we could go is with a growth mindset.
0: Yeah, indeed. And it just really speaks to the power of the message coming right from the top. And I'm thinking about we had Simon Sinek on the show not that long ago. And he had in the past, I'd heard him say some critical things about Microsoft and he now uses Microsoft as a, as a good example. And I asked him, you, you know, you've said some critical things about Microsoft before. What changed? And he said, well, you know, new leadership, and they've changed. And you see it. You see it in so many different perspectives. You see it in the culture of Microsoft. You see it in communications and just how organizations are interacting with Microsoft these days. So I think it's such a great example of how a culture can change if that commitment comes from the top. What do you think worked when you look at like that now with a little bit of distance over the last few years of changing perspective of how culture would play out within the organization?
1: I think part of that was when we shifted our mission. It used to, you know, when when Bill was steering our ship, it was getting a computer on every, every desk. But now Microsoft's mission is to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And so our mission acts as our North Star in everything we do, every product choice we make, and how we show up with customers. It's not just a set of words. So when we talk about empowering people, we simply mean that the right tools, including that of coaching, with that, anyone can become anything. And that is really, we're only going to achieve our mission if we live our growth mindset culture, and culture eats strategy for breakfast, as they say. Yeah. So we started becoming learners in all things and having that growth mindset. And when we apply that mindset to learning about our customers, being diverse and inclusive, working together as one, we're ultimately making a difference in the world. And one of our main levers that we utilize is through coaching.
0: Yeah, it's such a great lead into coaching, right? And and such a need to really tactically execute that well, the intention of the organization. Um, so I'm curious how this started as you began your work with Microsoft and thinking about how this would emerge. Where did the, the coaching program very first begin as far as first steps?
1: Well, I think we recognized that when we shifted from transactional sales of Microsoft software to solution and services, that required a different conversation with our customer. And we also realized our Microsoft managers are critical, and we acknowledge that manager competency is core to the organization's success. And while we're continuously working to ensure our managers have the knowledge, skills, and capabilities to perform well, yet competency wasn't enough. We expected more from every one of our managers, and we needed to balance competency with character. So it wasn't just about what we did and what we do. It's about how we do it. And that translates into achieving that broader mission of empowering every person and every organization on the planet. And so our key lever again was through to achieve the how was through coaching, showing up more curious and really living our leadership principles of creating clarity, generating energy and delivering success. So we really focused on our managers to enable.
0: Before you started that process, what were you noticing with managers that maybe wasn't working as well as far as being coach-like?
1: I think it was in some cultures. I mean, we're a global company. And even here in North America, sometimes we've been raised in business that a good manager has all the answers. They tell people what to do. Mm. Um, And words like supervisor or boss. We use the word manager specifically because it's about some oversight, but it can also be to enable. And it's really knowing that you can empower your employees and how you can create autonomous teams. Really, so many of us across the globe have to do more with less. So the more you can scale. And one of the powers of coaching is enabling the confidence in those that are around you to go and do more. So that was the shift we had to make in moving from here's what you tell people to here's how you enable people.
0: As you began to think of what that was going to look like as a program coming together,
1: where did you start? I think we started with looking at everyday conversations our our folks having one-on-ones, right? And we used Sir John Whitmore's grow model in many of our business groups. It wasn't necessarily universally across all of Microsoft. And that was a great model. Yet folks were like, okay, but do I follow the G to the R to the O to the W in the grow model? And they, they felt like it wasn't natural. So about two years ago, we stepped back and said, if we're really going to enable managers to show up and be more coach-like, we had to get real crisp on what that looks like and, and make it easy. And we did a partnership and have trained many of our managers on the seven questions of the coaching habit that Michael Bungay-Stanier and the Box of Crayons team have put forth. And we've built upon that. One of the things that we look at are everyday conversations and how a manager with a coach mindset knows when to coach and choose the right conversation technique for a given situation.
0: One of the challenges you and I have both had in learning in organizations over the years is um, bringing material in and people getting into a room or virtual space and getting really excited about it, and then making that transition to actually starting to use it in practice. As you began to put together the framework for this and started to utilize the the coaching habit and, and, and some of the other tools, what did your team do to help people to make that transition to taking what they sort of could recite and know into behaviors when they're actually having conversations with others?
1: So in the training programs that I develop, I ensure that there's several components in the learning experience so that when they are actually learning, they're getting not only content regarding concepts, but then we provided a safe space for them to practice. When we're talking about presence and how we show up, having a safe place to practice is critical, and then to apply. So we used a micro-learning approach where we broke down the concepts over several weeks. It was a five-week program, and we would give them bite-sized chunks, if you will, to then go practice, and we put them in learner cohorts, so folks that were at the same stage as the other folks as far as learning the concepts, and then we asked them to apply, and we did that every week. And so it, it's a matter of, of the deep learning, right? You, you just, you, you learn one bit at a time, keep layering it in, and all of a sudden you're doing it end to end. We found that wasn't just enough though. We have to constantly provide opportunities for safe spaces for our managers to practice and really kind of hone this becoming natural. Professional coaches, we have different levels as we certify because we've become more and more natural As we progress from first graduating from when we're trained into the next level Um, in ICF, it's ACC, then you go to PCC, and then you go to master coach. And what's changing across those levels is really the comfort of the coach presence in our own skin. I don't know how else to describe it. We have to do the same thing with our leaders and managers in them practicing and being more coach-like and staying in curiosity and suppressing in the desire to give advice so that they can be more curious in the moment. And that, again, comes with practice.
0: Yeah, indeed. And you mentioned you, you know, put together this very thoughtful process of there being some classroom part, there being some practice, and there being application. And you mentioned we found out that wasn't enough. What was the indicator to you that something yet was missing?
1: Um, Post-training, folks would ask, what are those seven questions again? Or what do I need? Is it the exact same order? Or how do I do coaching with giving feedback? Are they two different conversations? Uh, And so we, we knew we needed to go beyond coaching, if you will.
0: Yeah. And what ended up being that next step to go beyond?
1: So we introduced, we have a follow-up program for our graduates, and it really is about continuing the coaching habit, but it's also about everyday manager and employee conversations. So I mentioned earlier, a manager with a coach mindset knows when to choose the right conversation technique for the situation. And it, it starts with discernment reading and understanding the person. So part of that model coach care is we need to coach and know our people. And you can use different techniques in the moment. And so one of the things in your quiver is evaluation. I need to confirm accountability and verify next steps with them. They might be new to a situation though. So you might have to step into teaching. And that challenge might be extremely steep. So if you tried to coach them when coaching infers that they already have the answer and they just need confidence, you actually can derail their confidence because they don't have the answer yet. It's new to the situation or the challenge is steep. So they're going to have to teach. So we went through the variety of different techniques a manager has and how you can always be more coach-like. So an example, if you have to give somebody some pretty tough feedback on a missed opportunity and you're going to do some observation and redirection with them. You could always land that conversation in, you know, what was most useful or valuable here for you today? It's a coaching moment for them to reflect for themselves on the value of the conversation and that there might have, even though if it was hard to hear, there was some value that they could take away from it, but it becomes their own And you make it more of a coaching moment rather than a accountability you must go do. They take on the ownership. So again, we have ongoing programs to continue developing our managers to really embrace the full suite of conversation techniques. And we always look at coaching as the best option to empower and where the employees learn the most from self-discovery
0: thinking about what you said earlier about coaching capabilities as one of those those three key pillars. And what I'm hearing you say is that it's it's moving it's perhaps moving away a little bit, not only as an organization, but as an individual manager of, okay, I'm sitting down and having a coaching conversation now, and now I'm having a conversation about feedback and now I'm having a conversation about training. And instead really coming from a capability standpoint of I could use these coaching skills in all of those communications and that I can bring coach-like behaviors into all of those communications?
1: Absolutely. One of my pet peeves is the word conversation in the aspect that any conversation can include numerous techniques in it and coaching happens to be the the best option to empower. If a manager's having a one-on-one with their employee, if they're showing up more coach-like, then they're going to choose that right conversation. And we call it a manager with a coach mindset, if you will. It's them discerning which technique do I really need to meet my employee with Right now. And we do this naturally as humans. When we get together with somebody for the first time, we start asking questions like, hey, have you ever been to you know the ball game here before? Or have you ever tried that restaurant? We we all by nature enter conversations. So sometimes when we give formulas to managers, we make it a little unnatural for them. And if we can shift the managers to help them be more curious. And again, can you be curious a little bit longer, um, rest your action and advice giving a little bit slower as simply that aspect of coaching and asking them to ask questions and have them be really open questions so that they can discern and meet their employees where they're at. They will accelerate that employee all the faster by staying in curiosity, but they need to... They need to, there's no one type of conversation. It has to be a melded conversation in order to be the most effective and impactful conversation.
0: Just like we have as human beings in every other context, don't we? it's just a huge, huge distinction. And I'm wondering if, as you think back to some of those early managers who went through the program and began to make that shift of really thinking about bringing those capabilities into lots of interactions. What's a time that you, you saw someone make that shift and you thought, oh, oh, wow, that really worked for them, like something that they did as a, as a behavior or thinking pattern that really helped them to begin to make that that transition?
1: Yeah. So we teach the opener of what's on your mind. It's, it's the Facebook question. It's one of the best known questions on the planet. And what's on your mind gets people really to think versus, hey, what's going on? Or, you know... What's top of, you know, the agenda? And an example is I had a leader who normally in our leader culture would come in and say, here's my top of mind and and say everything that was on top of mind and goes, you know, what's on your top of mind? And naturally in any group dynamic, once a leader or manager states for their team, what's top of mind for them, whatever was on the top of mind for all of their team suddenly goes down in the list of, of, for them and their top of mind becomes the leader's top of mind. And I had a leader that I was working with come into the team meeting and sit down and rather than starting with, here's my top of mind, he went around the room and asked, what's on your mind? What do you want us to talk about today? And when they made that simple shift and let the team go before theirs, they heard new perspectives and new ideas that perhaps would have been filtered And again, that's just living the growth mindset. It's allowing for other possibilities. It's looking at other perspectives in order for us to really, you know, empower our teams to achieve the most.
0: You've had so much success with this program. And of course, as you mentioned, there's so much ongoing and work yet to be done, too. Um, But I think to the earlier point, you know, you can even see it outside the organization, like how much just the different conversation and context. People talk about Microsoft today than they did five or 10 years ago. And it's really incredible. And this work is is certainly a big part of that. One of the things that's really remarkable to me from a metric standpoint is just how many people have stayed engaged with the course content and the program after they've finished the course, which is so unusual in learning for people to do that. And yet... You said something like 80% of folks are staying engaged with the course content after the course ends. Am I remembering that right?
1: Currently, I have 86% of my several thousand graduates and growing that stay in connection with our graduate community on a weekly basis. We have additional resources. We use a, a bit of push-pull model and a neuroscience model where you know we have resources available for them that can refresh from the course and they can go out there and and search for it on their own. And then I write a series of different articles that we push out to the community on a weekly basis. And through that push pull model, we have an 86% engagement. Uh, When I set up the reinforcement, the inside the house, we call it reinforcement, but from our user population, our students and those managers, and um, I have many ICs, individual contributors, that have gone through the program as well. It's just the refresher, keeping their habit. And so we address different topics, whether that is how you can be more coach-like in mentoring, feedback, like I was sharing with you. And we set a bar that, like once a quarter, maybe somebody would go out and do a little research, or you know, look for items, or maybe read one of the articles. And right now we're running at eighty-six percent active user rate on our community.
0: It's really incredible. I mean, so many organizations, uh, especially uh, you know, as as organizations have are doing more online and thinking about learning in online environments, you know, would would love to have numbers even half that. And as you think about that level of engagement and the desire for people to want to stay connected and continue to engage, what's one? Strategy or tactic that you or your team have done? Do you think has really worked to support that?
1: Keep it real. We use real terms, so I don't use terms in this community such as psychological safety. We talk about creating an environment of trust with our employees, so we use the everyman speak, if you will, and we we break it down. We keep it so that they can learn it on the run. So my, micro learning bite size uh, available on their phone all of the program was done virtually so you know being in person is is not a key to this it can we've been doing this for over 2 years virtually at this point and the number one factor was keep it simple keep it real and make it applicable and easy to do
0: we do a lot of us have the tendency i know i do to overcomplicate things and so it's just a reminder of the power of Real language, keeping it simple, and, and how powerful that can be. And I, I think that that's also really powerful across such a diverse organization the size of Microsoft that there are a lot of people who don't use, like don't wouldn't have had the coaching language and some of the language that learning professionals or coaches might use. One of the things you told me, Andrea, is that you're, you're so good with is stakeholder management. And I'm curious, as you have gone down this journey of getting engagement with others in the organization... What has worked for you to be able to reach out to other leaders and peers in order to get the buy-in that you've received for the program success?
1: Yeah, it, this started, you know, obviously with with us embracing a, a growth mindset for a culture shift, you know, several years ago now. And the underpinning of coaching is to enable curi- through curiosity. So getting our executive vice presidents um, on board and they, you know, Jean-Philippe Coutois has uh, our EVP of sales and marketing organization globally. He, he took the course too. I mean, he walked the talk and he expected his whole team to do so as well. And it, in keeping it simple and it wasn't just for entry employees, it was for every level of the organization. It gave us a common framework for us to be able to have conversations. It's kind of a joke. You know, people giggle a little bit now when somebody says, so what's on your mind? And um, (laughs) rather than, you know, what's the agenda today? It gives us a common language for us to really reflect and say, we're trying to be more coach, like we're trying to be living our growth mindset. And so again, Showing the business value, that was one thing that we made certain is that coaching is an everyday, in-the-moment leadership behavior. It can be done in 10 minutes or less. It's right up there with, we say, timely feedback, timely coaching. And it can be done at all levels of the organization. We can all do with uh, being empowered through coaching. And so From stakeholder perspective, it's showing that this is not just for employee growth, which is vital. It's also to achieve business results. And if we want to focus on winning customer-centric behaviors, our top business priorities, and even excellence in business hygiene, coaching is one of the best options to empower the teams to be autonomous and to scale.
0: Andrea, thank you so much for sharing this perspective with us. I, I know others in organizations who have thought about Bringing in a coaching culture and supporting it well and providing the resources and the care that you have so well, Um, I I know some of those folks will want to reach out and maybe have some questions for you. For those that would, uh, I think your website would be a good starting point for them, if I'm recalling right?
1: Yeah, AndreaWaterstrand.com. And I'm sure you'll put that into the materials here because I do have that long last name.
0: So. <laughs> you do. You and I both do. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the positive is we're never mistaken often for other people, but <laughs> it does there
1: is not another Andrea Waterstrand on the planet. <laughs> and I think my husband is thankful for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are going to get the link into the episode notes. It'll also be in this week's weekly leadership guide for those of you who received that on Wednesday. Andrea, before I let you go, uh, one of the questions I often ask leaders is, what's changed? Because leaders are growing, they're learning, they're constantly um, reevaluating as as new things come across our radar screens. And sometimes we're wrong. Um, I'm curious, as you've been doing this work over the last couple of years, what have you changed your mind on?
1: I've shifted how much folks really want to be more coach-like. And it's not that I changed my mind. I think I had a limit as far as, yeah, some folks are going to embrace this, but it truly is a desire by managers and leaders across the globe to empower their employees. They want to see them succeed. And when they find the simplicity of being more coach-like, and we have a concept of be lazy, which is very provocative in this aspect of, you're empowering them, and they learn most from self-discovery. So actually, if you embrace it, you actually gain time back. The wave of involvement and the fact that I have 86% still involved in, in wanting to keep nurturing these this capability really was surprising to me, and delightfully so.
0: Andrea Wannerstrand from Microsoft and the International Coaching Federation, thank you so much for your wisdom.
1: Thank you for having me, Dave.
0: If this conversation was helpful to you, three other episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 190 How to Improve Your Coaching Skills with Tom Henschel. On that episode, Tom and I talked about the challenge that we have as leaders of, on one hand, wanting to balance wonderful coaching skills, developing people, doing so many of the things that so many of us want in our organizations and balancing that reality with results and needing to hit the numbers and needing to ensure the organization's performing. It is a challenging balance. And Tom did a beautiful job in episode 190 of really striking that balance and also helping us with a few analogies and stories that really, for me, I continue to come back to to get myself in the right mindset for coaching. Also, if you aren't already listening to Tom's excellent show, The Look and Sound of Leadership, it is a wonderful compliment to this show. That's episode 190, How to Improve Your Coaching Skills. Also recommended episode 237, These Coaching Questions Get Results with Michael Bungay Stanier. We mentioned the work of Michael and the Coaching Habit and their organization, Box of Crayons, in supporting Microsoft and their efforts to develop coaching skills inside their organization. Episode 237 is a wonderful introduction to the Coaching Habit and some of the key questions that you can ask to help you to become more coach-like. So many of our community have really benefited from Michael's work over the years, episode 237 for that. And then finally, I'd recommend move coaching from theory to practice with Jason wieman That was episode 493. In that conversation, Jason and I talked about a similar journey he had at Upwork, a different organization and a different perspective on how they work to move th- coaching from theory into practice and helping their team to become more coach-like, episode 493, uh, even more ideas if you're looking for more after this conversation. All of those can be found on the coachingforleaders.com website. One of the topic areas that we have under the website is called coaching skills. There's many conversations, as you'd imagine, over the years focused on coaching skills, and so if you're looking for more there, I would invite you to set up your free membership by going over to coachingforleaders.com. And when you set up your free membership, you'll get access to the entire library, searchable by topic, including coaching skills, organizational culture, training skills, which is which this episode's filed under, plus many more. All of that online. In addition, the member cast, my own personal library, uh, also a ton of resources on and audio courses all free and access to my weekly leadership guide that comes every Wednesday. All of that at coachingforleaders.com. Set up your free membership now and you'll be off and running. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Chris Hogan to the show. He is from The Chris Hogan Show. It's part of Dave Ramsey's organization. He is going to be teaching us about how to build wealth. Fascinating uh, results from some of the research that they've been doing Uh, over at Ramsey's organization over the last few years. Join me for that conversation and have a great week. Take care, everyone.